You can put me back in the beginning of the PowerPoint. Good morning, church. I am so happy to be here with you, and I am so happy for that bat because uh, you guys were all looking like you lacked some energy this morning, and I was going to have you guys like lift up your hands and touch your neighbor and all that, but the bat took care of that for me. And so your adrenaline is up. That means that your mental focus is right on where I need it. So praise God. He, God knew you needed that bat. God knew you needed that bat. And for those who ran away and are still running outside, please come back. I'm just kidding. Let's uh, pray. Today we're going to get into the word. We have a message for you, a very encouraging message. <laughs> You're supposed to struggle. I hope you find encouragement by that. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the adrenaline that's helping our mental focus. But Lord, help us focus on thy word. We ask that your Holy Spirit be here with us in a special way. This I ask in the name of Jesus Christ. We all say... Amen. Kids are so cute, aren't they? Would you agree? Children are so precious. Kids are so cute until one day, all of a sudden, they're not so cute. And they're not so precious anymore. And I think it coincides when they begin to talk. Because you go from this baby that you're holding your arms saying, goo goo, gaga, and dada, and mama, to being asked 20 times in a row, but why? But why? But why? Now, I don't think I'm exaggerating. I counted with my daughter 20 times in a row. I gave an answer, but why? Give an answer, but why? So kids are cute and awesome, but they reach a certain age where kind of that starts to wear off, and especially when they begin talking because they start saying things are inappropriate at times. Mia always tells the story, my wife, that one day her grandma was visiting from New Zealand when they lived in Australia, and she would lay down on the bed, you know, grandmas hugging their grandchildren, and uh, my wife would start playing with, uh, you know, some of you got this uh, stuff that hangs down here, and uh, she, Mia would say, Grandma, it's like, it's like bread dough, it's like bread dough. Kids sometimes... You know, they just say the most embarrassing things. And, and if it's embarrassing at home, it's doubly embarrassing in church. In fact, one man recounted his experience. He tells a story a few years ago. My niece gave the preacher, listen to this. My niece gave a preacher a couple of dollars after the service. You know, when he's greeting, the little girl went up. Here's a couple of dollars. So the preacher asked what it was for. And my little niece replied, my uncle JJ says you was the poorest preacher he ever heard. <laughs> so you got a couple of dollars. <laughs> so, so many parents have had to apologize, have had to explain, have had to deny the words that come out of the mouth of their kids, right? Because once they begin talking, sometimes uh, they say inappropriate, wrong things. Now, it gets even harder when children or kids start talking to God. I mean, we teach our kids to pray to God, but, but friends, that's access to a lot of power for a little kid. You understand what I'm saying? And sometimes, well, they ask God for things they shouldn't ask for. One boy, after returning from summer camp, wrote in his prayer, reco prayer request card at church the next weekend, Dear God, please send Dennis Clark to a different camp next year. 
sometimes they just ask the wrong things. Now, I recently had this experience with my daughter, Gianna, and I could use her because she's not a teenager yet, so I'm going to use her as an illustration, not when she's older. So we've taught her how to pray, and she has these beautiful prayers, and we're seated to eat. You know, she's supposed to pray for the food, supposed to bless the food, but she starts going off and praying about other things. And this is what she starts saying just two days ago. She starts saying, dear Heavenly Father, and dear God, and she starts getting really into it, really emotional, please give me a baby brother. Please give me a baby brother. And I know that you're not supposed to open up your eyes, but me and my wife both opened up our eyes, and we said, hmm? And, and, I, and I don't know about my wife, but at that very moment, I think she started praying a counter prayer. No, Lord, please don't answer that prayer. Not, 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 not for another five, ten years, hopefully. And so sometimes when, when kids pray things, sometimes we almost want to say to God, please don't listen to that prayer. They messed up. It's not, it's, that's not true. Or, or take it back. Take it back. And when I was reading the Bible in John chapter 17, I kind of ran across a prayer where I had a, I had a similar sentiment to the prayer that my daughter did. I, I read this prayer in John chapter 17, and I was like, no, no, it can't be. God... God, don't, don't listen to that prayer. In fact, in fact, take it back, the one who prayed it. Take it back. So let's go to that prayer and see what, what's up with this prayer. What's going on? In John chapter 17, verse 1, if you would open up your Bible, we find that Jesus is praying this awesome prayer right before his crucifixion. And he's praying this awesome prayer not only for himself, but for his disciples and all believers there are to come in the future. One of my favorite texts in all the Bible is found in this prayer. And so John chapter 17, verse 1, Jesus spoke these words. He lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. So far, so good, right? Good prayer. And one of my favorite verses in the Bible is, is verse number three. Would you say with me from the screen? And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And I have glorified you on the earth, and I have finished the work which you have given me to do. So, so far, so good. We're like, yeah, amen. Powerful prayer, Jesus. The prayer right before his crucifixion for his believers, for his followers. And he continues saying, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but I pray for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. So he's praying for believers. He's praying for not only his disciples, but he's praying for future believers. So in other words, this is the prayer that Jesus is saying for you. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I'm glorified in them. And so I'm getting excited. I'm like, this is a powerful prayer. He's just mentioned me by name because I'm a believer, right? I'm not of the world. I've accepted Jesus Christ. And so I'm excited. I'm like, what is he going to pray for me? John chapter 17, what is Jesus going to pray for me? And then he says this, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world but that you should keep them from the evil one. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You didn't, you didn't really mean that, Jesus, did you? 
that's not the prayer that you meant to say. Take it back. Don't take them out of this world. Wait a minute, Jesus. What are you saying? Don't take them out of this world of suffering. Don't take them out of this world of of struggle. Don't take them out of this world of of pain, of of all the stuff that, that we're going through. Don't take them out of that world. I mean, think about it. Isn't this prayer wrong? I mean, am I the only one that feels that way? Because when you see a person converted to God, I mean, when you see someone turn from sin to righteousness, from a sinner to a saint, wouldn't it be good to take them just that very moment to heaven? I mean, right when you're converted, it's like, okay, you're mine. Don't deal with struggles. Don't deal with suffering. Don't deal with enemies. Don't deal with pain. Let's go up. I'm taking you to heaven this very moment. Wouldn't it be nice If when we accept Jesus Christ, we are translated to heaven like Enoch or like Elijah, so we don't have to deal with this world of sin and struggle. But Jesus says, "Uh uh-uh. I pray that they stay. I pray that they don't go. I pray that they stay. You see, some men, when they are converted, are all for going to heaven immediately. And Seventh-day Adventists have a funny way of putting it. When Seventh-day Adventists are going through a hard time, through struggles, they say, Lord, Jesus Christ, please come. Please come back today. Come back tomorrow. Come as soon as possible to take me out of this world. And Jesus says, I pray that they, that they stay. So are you getting the same sentiment I'm getting? I'm like, this is like my daughter's prayer. Jesus, are you sure that's the prayer you meant to say? Did you mess up somewhere? I mean, is this the prayer that God really wants when he sees a suffering, struggling world to say, do not take them out of this world? Well, I'm here to say that Jesus meant that prayer because he knew something that he wants you to know. And this is the very encouraging part. He wants you to know what he knows, and that is that you're supposed to struggle. You're not encouraged? No one said amen to that one? <laughs> you're, um, amen. He forced me to say someone. Now, now, I want you to think about this. Jesus prayed that we stayed in this world And I'm saying it's because he knows that we're supposed to struggle. Now, back in the Old Testament, there's a story of Moses. When he was leading the Israelite nation to Canaan, the promised land, he he brought them there and he said, listen, Moses, tell the people that I'm going to drive out all their enemies out of the land and they're going to go in and possess the land. The Lord's going to go before you. He's going to conquer. He's going to even send hornets before you. But listen to what he said. He said, but I'm not going to do it in one year. I'm not going to do it too quick. The Bible tells us in Exodus chapter 23 in verse 29, I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. He says in Exodus chapter 23, verse 30, a message that is important for us to understand why we need to stay and why struggle is important. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have what? Until you have what? I mean, I worked all night making this PowerPoint. Come on. Until you have? 
and you inherit the until you increase and inherit the land. Listen, what Moses was saying through, what God was saying through Moses is, if all of your enemies went away suddenly, the land would be overgrown because you don't know what to do with it yet. If all your enemies went away suddenly, you wouldn't know what to do with the land. So you need to increase before you can inherit the the land. And how does that apply to us today? If God removed all your enemies... If God removed all your opposition, if God removed your struggles, you wouldn't be ready to receive the land. And I'm not talking about Canaan and Israel. I'm talking about that heavenly land that God has for us. Why did Jesus pray that prayer? I do not pray that you should take them out of this world. Simply put, he prayed that prayer because Jesus is not only preparing heaven for you, but he is preparing you for heaven. Jesus is not only preparing heaven for you, but he is preparing you for heaven. And he can't do that without struggles. He can't do that without enemies. He can't do that without opposition. He has to do it little by little until you increase and you're able to take the land. Friends, God doesn't allow opposition to stop your progress, but to speed it up. You catch that? God doesn't allow opposition to stop your progress, but to speed it up. Think about the story of David and Goliath. Think about the story of David and Goliath. David, before he met his enemy Goliath, was just a simple shepherd boy. Is that true? I mean, Samuel anointed him king, but he anointed him king in secret. No one knew about it. Everybody just knew David as that shepherd boy. In fact, when he showed up to visit his brothers in the battle of the Philistines between Israel, his brothers didn't even respect him, did they? They treated him badly. So David was pretty much a nobody shepherd boy. But the Bible tells us that Goliath was strategically placed in the path of David, not to defeat him, but to promote him. His enemy did more for him in one day than his friends could do for him in a lifetime. Because when God allows opposition in your life, it's not to stop your progress, but it is to speed it up. And after David encountered the struggle, the opposition, the obstacle of Goliath, he used that, God used that to take David to the throne. And so the Bible tells us that it was shortly after this that the women were singing, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. That wouldn't have happened without a struggle. So do you have an enemy in your life? Do you have someone who's talking bad about you? Someone who's opposing you? Someone who's putting you down? And you're saying, Lord Jesus Christ, take this person out of my life or take me to heaven. I don't want to be here. But Jesus prays, let him stay. Because it's through that opposition that I will make him move forward. Because it's not there to stop you. It's there to speed you up in the development and preparation for heaven. God has a plan for you, 
even through struggles, pain, and suffering. So don't complain about your enemy's problems and struggles. It might look like a setback temporarily, but God is really trying to set you up to take the throne in his heavenly kingdom. Do you believe that? So Jesus knows that you're supposed to struggle because the greatest victories in your life will come out of the greatest battles of your life. Is there someone going through a battle here this morning? Are you battling in your marriage? Are you battling in your parenting life? Are you battling in your finances? Are you battling for your health? Friends, God knows that he could use that for your good and that that great battle can produce a great victory in your life. We find another person in the Bible who could claim this to be true. We find Daniel, the Old Testament prophet, learned the important truth through his struggles that if God allowed it, he knows how to use it for your good. During his youth, Daniel was taken captive when the Babylonians invaded his city of Jerusalem, the capital. They took him away from his friends, from his family, from his possessions. Everything he knew, everything he had was lost because of opposition, because of an enemy. And he was struggling in life. In fact, the Psalms chapter 137 verse 1 through 4 describes the pain of not only Daniel but every other believer in the God of heaven during that time when Babylon came and took them away. It says, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. We hung our harps upon the willows in the midst of it. For, though, for there those who carried us away captive asked us a song. And those who plundered us requested mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Talk about struggle. Here they were taken away as captives. And as they were sitting down by the rivers of Babylon, thinking of everything they lost, thinking of their struggles, thinking of their despairs and sufferings to come, their enemies even taunted them and tell, told them, sing us those happy songs he used to sing in Mount Zion. And as they were mocked, they hung their harps and said, how can we sing happy songs here in a foreign land of captivity? But God allows it. If he knows he can, use it for your good. And your greatest testimonies will come from your greatest what? Your greatest testimonies will come from your greatest test. And I wish I was in church when Daniel the prophet gave his testimony. I wish I was in church. I could imagine it went something like this. He said, today, brothers and sisters, I want to testify that God is faithful because I was once homeless, I was once landless, I was once captive, but now I am the prime minister of this country. I just want to thank God, I imagine, Daniel said, for all my struggles, because they allowed me to grow and to represent Jesus in the more, most important places and to the most important people. Wow, what a beautiful testimony Daniel must have given, because he knew he knew that you're supposed to struggle. Because when people see problems, God sees potential. What do you see? Problems or potential? God can use what he allows for your own good. 
And so today, maybe you're struggling because your employer has told you that you got to work this Sabbath. No choice. It's mandatory. And you're saying, Lord, take me to heaven. Why are you allowing me to go through this opposition and struggle? Maybe this yesterday, you checked your bank account, and it's already a negative. And you're saying, Lord, why are you allowing this to happen to me? Maybe you just come from a broken relationship. Your relationships are breaking down. And you're saying, Lord, I'm lonely. Other people are getting married. Other people are having boyfriends and girlfriends. But I can't find someone to call my own. And your greatest struggles can be your greatest victories. Your greatest testimonies will come from your greatest test. And if God allows it, it's because he could use it. Because he's not only preparing heaven for you, but he's preparing you for? He's preparing you for heaven. That's right. So friends, really the main point of this message comes down to this. For the Christian, opposition is really opportunity in disguise. For the Christian, are you a Christian? Opposition is really opportunity in disguise. Doesn't that make you look at the prayer of Jesus quite differently? Doesn't that make you look at your struggles, your pains, your sufferings, your enemies? Doesn't that make that look at completely different? You say, praise God for the enemy. Praise God for that challenge. In fact, can I let you in on something? How many of you have had struggle with Sabbath work before? Anybody has had trouble with Sabbath work? Would you raise your hand if, if, if you had trouble, maybe an employer tried to make you do it, or maybe it was hard on your finances to not work on the Sabbath? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. If you struggled keeping the Sabbath for some reason, I envy you because as a pastor, I don't have that struggle. I don't have that problem. But guess what? I can never be tested on that place. I can never have a victory on that. Maybe in the future when persecution comes, but today... I envy you that you've had that victory in that area of your life because God has made you progress in that area. And so the Bible tells us that for the Christian, opposition is really opportunity in disguise. In the book, one of my favorite books, Christ Object Lessons, which we are studying Friday nights, 7 p.m., shameless plug, Parables of Jesus, come join us every Friday night. We're going through the Christ Object Lessons book, and on page 74, uh, the inspired writer, Ellen G. White, says, profession is as nothing in scale. It is what? It is character that decides destiny. God has a destiny for you. God has a destination for you. But he says, you can't go to that land too quick. You can't go too quick because you're not ready for that land. You must increase before you can receive the land. That land is your destiny. But your character needs to be prepared to receive that land. God needs to prepare you for heaven. And he's working hard and preparing heaven for you, but he's working even double overtime, preparing you for heaven. Character is what decides destiny. So when you overcome a struggle, a problem, or an enemy, you step into a new level with Jesus Christ. Because Jesus knows that struggles are part of the process. I think a statement that really summarizes it well is this you can't wear the crown without bearing the the cross mm, lord that's hard but it's true 
how do you expect to, to follow the suffering Messiah without suffering? How do you expect to, to follow the struggling man without struggle? How do you expect to walk the path of Jesus? But in that step where he stepped, oh, Lord, you stepped there, but I don't like that one. I'm going to tippy-toe around that one on my way to heaven, and I'm going to tippy-toe here, and I'm going to, oh, no, Lord, that's too hard. Get, take me to heaven now. I pray that you stay. If you want to follow Jesus, if you want to wear that crown, and he has a crown for you, praise God, but you got to bear the cross. Because struggles are needed. Enemies can promote us. And challenges can become victories. So friends, don't be intimidated by your enemies, by what someone says, a negative medical report. The greatest force in the universe is on your side, Jesus Christ. So you can't become strong without first becoming sore. Anybody work out? A preacher put it like this. You can't become swole without becoming sore. Some of you young people get that. Other people are like, That's, I don't get that. Way over my head. Okay, there's no young people. No one got it. Sorry. Moving on. <laughs> don't be intimidated by your enemies. When the Israelites, listen to this story. When the Israelites were in slavery, Pharaoh got upset and decided to make it harder on them. Do you remember that story? He told their supervisors to take away their materials and require them to make the same amount of bricks every day. He took away their straw and their sand, and they now had to find their own supplies and work twice as hard. It was, a f it was unfair, completely unfair, and it was a struggle. And sometimes some of you might have a supervisor that might be giving you a hard time. Maybe you have a roommate that's giving you a hard time. Maybe you have someone you're in a relationship that's giving you a hard time and making you work more than you're supposed to. It's unfair how they're treating you. It's unfair how they're talking to you. But it's interesting that no matter how unfair, how much of a struggle, listen to what happened to the Israelites. The Bible tells us in Exodus chapter 1 verse 12, but the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and what? They multiplied and grew. I say amen to this because this is the story of our life, right? The more that, that Satan tries to afflict us with problems, with struggles, with enemies, with health challenges, with financial challenges, the more he does that, the more I can multiply and grow in grace. What about you? Can you do that too? Can you do that too? So let me tell you a little secret that maybe you don't know, but I'm going to tell you today. Everyone struggles. Everyone struggles. There's not a person in this room that isn't struggling with something. There is not anyone in this city that isn't struggling with something. Everyone struggles. You say, Psst, Pastor, what do you know about struggles? Psst. I know about struggles. You know about struggles that I don't know about. Now, some struggles are brought on by your bad decisions. Not all struggles come from God. Some of them are because of your bad choices. So don't blame God or say, Lord, use this. No, 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 that was, that was your bad choice. But everyone struggles. That's the truth. Don't be ashamed of your struggle. Don't be ashamed of your suffering. Don't act like, oh, I must not be a good Christian because this is what's going on in my life. I'm struggling in this area. Everyone struggles. 
But for the believer, your struggles can be a stumbling block or a stepping stone. It's right there. You could ever trip over it or you could step on it to the next level. Because everyone struggles, you have a struggle, and those struggles could knock you down or they could lift you up. What is it going to be with you today, friend? Will it knock you down or will it lift you up? Sometimes we wonder, why did I do, what did I do to deserve this? Or why did God have to do this to me? But I want to give you a beautiful explanation through illustration. One day a daughter was telling her mother, Mother, everything's going wrong in my life. Mother, I'm failing algebra. Mother, my boyfriend just broke up with me. Mother, my best friend is moving away. Meanwhile, her mother was, was baking a cake. And she asked her daughter if she wanted a snack, if she wanted a piece of the cake. And her daughter says, absolutely, Mom, I love your cake. So the mom said, here you go. Have some cooking oil. Yuck, mother. Cooking oil? How about a couple raw eggs? Gross, mom. Would you like some flour then? Or maybe some baking soda? Mom, those are all yucky. To which the mother replied, Yes, all these things seem bad all by themselves. But when you put them together in the right way, they make a wonderfully delicious cake. God works the same way. Many times we wonder why he would let us go through some bad or difficult times. But God knows that when he puts all these things together, all in his order, they work out for your good. We just have to trust him that eventually they will all make something beautiful. Your struggles, your challenges, your pains. Because I know this, and if you don't know this, I'm going to repeat it. God is crazy about you. He sends you flowers every spring and sunrises every morning. Jesus loves you so much that he waits for you to wake up and talk to him. Jesus loves you so much that he breathes life into you every morning. Jesus loves you so much, the Bible says, that he collects the tears from your eyes in a bottle. Jesus loves you so much that he knows the hair that is falling from my head. Jesus loves you so much that he gave his only begotten son for you. And so whatever struggles or pain that you're going through, it's not for him to trip you, but to elevate you. And he knows that we need those struggles to be prepared to be with him forever and ever and ever and ever in eternity. And so with all the pain and struggle in his heart, he said, I pray that they stay. I pray that they stay. But not that they stay alone. For wherever you are and wherever you go, your Lord is there to strengthen you. Friends, the best is yet to come even through your struggles and your pains. How many of you want to testify this morning? Lord, this morning, my struggle, my pain, the challenges I'm going through, the thing that was burdening me when I came to church this morning has now become a blessing because Goliath is going to promote me.
Because the Babylonians are going to make me a prime minister. Because the Pharaoh is going to try to afflict me, but it's going to make me increase. How many this morning want to testify to Jesus and say, that problem, that person, that challenge, I now see is my stepping stone and not my stumbling block. Is there someone who wants to raise their hand and say that this morning? Amen and amen and amen. God bless you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you are too good to us. And sometimes you have to pray prayers that we would never pray for ourselves. But you know what we need. And so today, you've seen the hands that are raised. We submit to you in each and every way, including our challenges, problems, and struggles. Use them to glorify us. This I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.